Okay, because um, I think Mr. Ali would have stated that he gained his first degree from an, a university in West Demerara, and I'm, I've been living in Guyana for 21 years, and I've not seen this university as yet. I'm not denying that it exists, but I just have not seen it as yet. But um, in terms of the political messaging, I think Guyanese... Uh, we need to hold our political parties more accountable uh, to ensure that we vote based on policies and not personalities and race and other um, and other categories of, of deciding who we want to lead this country. And and finally, I forgot to mention the Liberty and Justice Party. That was party led by Mr. Schumann. He would have actually presented a manifesto since 2019. And I would have read through that manifesto, and I think that that manifesto would have been the best uh, manifesto that would have been presented pre-elections. But uh, there were some issues with Mr. Schumann leading up to the elections, whether he was a dual citizen as well. Uh, there was another small party, Change Guyan, that had some issues as well concerning the prime ministerial candidate being a dual citizen. So... Guyana had its fair share of issues leading up to the elections. Uh, that's it from my view. I don't know if Michael wants to add to that. But before we get to Michael, I think I wanted Twinkle to give hers because we're going to round up with Michael before we get to election day proper. Um, so if I give, so we're paying attention to some of the, the, the some of, some of what the persons presented that they're going to run on this issue and that issue. So I've, I've and some of the main things that catch me was this lady that, what's her name, Valerie and Miss Phyllis. And I'm not quite too sure with all these parties, a set of the little, little parties, right? But yeah, Miss Valerie Phyllis, she was specifically um, part of her manifesto was basically to attack um, homosexuality in Guyana. That was part of her, her running. Um, Mr. Schumann, I really liked that he was talking about these bridges and highways to connect Guyana around and stuff like this. It had one time a friend Ali, um, he talked about this big bridges and highways and jobs and stuff like this. And then this, this erasing of school loans, that was just a, um, like it's an article come out from one of the news sources uh, about erasing school loans, which I find very, like, to me, I think what happened around these election time is that the capitalizing on people that are in need of basic things like education, housing, and all these things. Like, you just group us up and feel like, okay, we can feed them with what they want to hear. You understand? And so the, the high school loan thing and the school loan erasure for UG from Irfan Avenue was, like, for me, like, is this really going to happen? Because you had so many time in Parliament to do this before, and now you're bringing these things together. But what I didn't like that they didn't run and they didn't talk and was, like, to me, like, AP and you did bring back a lot from 2015 that they promised indeed. But in terms of like housing, more jobs, let's say the, the incarceration rate, people still going to jail for a simple thing like a giant of marijuana, unnecessarily people getting locked up in these things. Like these, these problems that are within the system itself, like the justice system, access to jobs, even to income on these things, like nobody didn't got too much of these and most of our LGBT community, like nobody wasn't really every time you even the Sasad who had this big um 
town hall and invited these individuals, like, you know, people referring back to the constitution that says this is this, that, but yet this constitution doesn't work for LGBT people and these, you know, like, these specific issues, people were not, um, like, strong about talking about how, how we're going to deal with these things. I'm, I'm mostly that serve people that are on, on the ground and hardworking and poor families, and they didn't have much that address the needs of these people as opposed to that. To me, they had a lot of fighting amongst each other, too. Like, especially from the PVP and APN, they had this recurring back and forth with each other. But I didn't see much of what they run for and, and how much they would have been able to deliver some of these things. You know, and it was mostly based on this aisle, aisle money. But then what could you do before this aisle money come about? What, what, how could you take care of these people before the aisle money come about? Um, how better you would be able to take care of people with the aisle money and taking into consideration, okay, let's say now, you have an eye money, and look what's going on with the coronavirus epidemic. What's going to happen in these circumstances? So that was it for me. All right. So one thing we haven't mentioned explicitly, right, is that the major divide in Guyana is this racial divide that we inherited from the times of uh, slavery, indentureship, and British colonialism, where um, the two major political parties, originally the P the PNC, the People's National Congress, and the People's Progressive Party um, would take racial allegiances, kind of, right? So the People's National Congress would take the Afro-Guyanese, and the PPP would take on the Indo-Guyanese. And part of what the coalition was, was that hope and change on this particular basis, that there could be somewhat of an interracial coalition. So, uh, Michael, as you wrap up this part before we talk about the elections, I was wondering, can you talk about if any of that um, was messaged at all in either a positive or a negative way? Because we know, like, one thing that always gets talked about around any Guyanese election is, like, this jumbie of um, Forbes Burnham coming back to haunt people, for example. Well, it, it is of my opinion that a lot of the rhetoric during this electoral period was basically the same thing. Like, seriously, the politicians really think that the Guyanese people are stupid. A lot of times they go ahead making some very outlandish claims that when you actually analyze them, they have zero merit and they can't necessarily be accomplished within the Guyanese time. And that is, that is why a lot of times these parties goes, go into power with a lot of expectation behind them and they can't necessarily translate that into reality. So like, for instance, the APNU basically came back with their 20, 2015 slogans and the PPP basically did the same. The only difference I saw particularly between these two things was that now they actually are interjecting oil money into the basis of their their, their stand. So basically if you analyze everything is that the same thing that they did 2015, they came back. The only difference is that with the AP and you know, they were saying that hey you know what 2015 to now we didn't have enough time to actually give you the stuff that we promised in 2015. But guaranteed next time we're going to do these things. And the, the APNU, I think, was working on the basis of what they termed the decade of development. So they had a 10-year plan, basically, which is kind of strange because normally with a government, you only have five years in Ghana to do whatever you want. So them coming with a 10-year plan was very strange. But I think they probably wanted to give themselves a little more time than they had before to do these things that they said they would have done before. Because, again, a lot of these things that the politicians give us are fantasies. I must say with the small parties that I'm very disappointed with, with, with their performance because I think they could have done a lot more. 
I know that the Guyanese critic was actually their um, campaign manager, but I don't think he was exclusively the campaign manager. I think he was, they, they tried to use him as a tool to get them to engage with the common Guyanese because the Guyanese critic has a very large following on, on social media especially. So with, with, with that being said, though, the campaigns that were run by these the smaller parties, they did not reach out to all the regions, which is strange because if you want to win an election, you have to get ensure that you get at least some votes from all the regions. There are 2,339 boxes. If you get two votes from each of those boxes, you have the possibility of gaining a seat. So the, the importance of reaching out to every single body can't be understated, and they did not do that. I think it's the URP, which is um, a party that has been running probably about two elections now. They were the only person outside of the big two, the AP and UNPP, that ran in every single region. And these other small parties and so on did not utilize the capacity. And it's not hard for you to run an election in, in, in different regions. All you have to do is present somebody from the area that would, would basically that is from the area that can vote from the area and you can use that as a tool to get these votes so they did not do that additionally when you look at their campaigns it was not really fully planned out because that is why i always believe that if you're running for election you can't go two months before the election and say that you're going to run politics in itself and party politics it takes time for you to get over your ideology properly you gotta be running like like right now how we, in this little period, you're supposed to be coming out in front and center and saying that, hey, you know what? We got solutions to solve all these problems that you guys got. And these are this is how we're going to solve them. And give give us specifics about solving it because that is the problem with the fantasy land that, that these political parties could tend to. When you, when you analyze things, you could see that there's no, no sort of plan to target these things. So like, for instance, I remember 2015 campaign with the APNU, a lot of these things, they're just going to say, hey, you know what? We're going to lower low crime in the country and then you think about but like how are you gonna low crime oh you know what we can low crime because great david granger was a soldier and he he can understand crime better and that's basically their solution to crime and th those things can't necessarily work in 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 where you got a system of a utopia you could probably assume that doesn't work but in a utopia everything is work so you can't use it in reality so, yeah, so that, that, this might be a little bit of a sad transition, but speaking of crime, let's talk about election day because election day in Guyana is always a tense affair, right? So, Matthew, you were going to speak. Tell us about your experiences this election day and whatever comment you're going to use to respond to Matthew. I mean, yeah. Um, oh, my bad. Yeah, uh, elections day 2020 was. Uh, my first experience working as a GCOM staff, I was the assistant residing officer for a, a polling station in uh, Durban Backlands. Uh, it was a very, leading up to elections would have involved significant amounts of training and uh, studying the GCOM manual. Uh, to ensure that I would have properly apprised myself of what is expected of me on ED. Uh, I must know what is a rejected ballot, what is a spoiled ballot, what, uh, which envelope the ballots have to go in and so forth. So I would have left my home on ED at around uh, 3 a.m. Yeah, 3 a.m. 
and I would have arrived at my polling station, and to my surprise, there were persons already lined up at uh, the polling station from since 3.30 in the morning. And that when I when I saw that I was heartened because I I knew that Guyanese would have turned out in their thousands to vote because of the high stakes of these elections. Uh, whoever won, whoever wins, uh, will be the first government that will be managing our, our resources. So I know that I knew from seeing that many persons, seeing many persons lined up in front of the polling station that I was in for a long day. And yeah, well, the elections uh, began at 6 a.m. Uh, and within the first three hours of the elections, there was, there were over uh, 80% of the lists 80% of the persons on the list would have would have been there within those early morning hours because I think people want to vote as early as possible and then go back home so that they are not out to be involved in any confusion or anything like that. So elections there for me was very smooth. Uh, my polling place would have conducted our affairs in a transparent and effective manner. And I did not have any issues on e day. Uh, I had good relations with all the agents, uh, the police officers, the observers. Uh, we we had a very uh, a good camaraderie on elections day. Uh, the counting was very. Was there any racial tension, Matthew? No, there was at least I, I can only speak from my experience. There was not any racial tension at my station. Uh, it was a generally peaceful day. Uh, there was an uprising later in the afternoon at one of the other stations within my polling place because the polling place has about four or five stations, whereby I think one of the POs had closed the station before the allotted time. Elections are supposed to be from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And if there are persons in the line at 5.59, those persons would have to be allowed to vote uh, until whenever, uh, until whenever. So that PO would have closed the doors before the allotted time, and some APNU representatives would have made a big, uh, a big issue about that, and that would have led to some APNU ministers coming in to so- to to soften and handle the issue. But apart from that, that that issue would have also led to police coming in because some of the APNU supporters uh, and the police, because the police officers assigned to every polling station would have almost came to blows. And that would have led to an entire entourage of police showing up to quell the um, tension. But generally, the Elections there was was calm. Uh, the counting for my station took about two and a half hours because we only had about a hundred and forty something persons coming out to vote, which was over eighty percent of the uh, of the electorate for that um, station. So 
my experience on elections there was one of peace and one of calm. Okay, so we're going to move on to uh, Michael, but uh, since you said you did have a role with GCOM, right? Um, different yeah. parts of the world do elections in a very different way. Um, would it be safe to assume there was no electronic voting in Guyana? Yeah, there's no electronic voting <laughs> in Guyana. Actually, uh, I'll give Michael the chance to answer before I actually speak on uh, the idea, because... Uh, there's a lot of things that need to be reformed in Guyana's electoral process, but let's hear of Michael's experience on the day first. All right, Michael, take it home. Well, I am a voter, so generally my situation is this. Because I did two things. I either go really early or you go really late to elections because there is always a large mass of people. So I remember on EDA waking up, I think my mother would have gone already and voted. And she, she was, like, encouraging me, oh, you know, you should go and vote, you should go and vote. And I was like, no, I'm not going to go and vote now. Whatever time you decide to go and vote, it doesn't really affect you voting. So I decided to wait until midday to go and vote when, when the process itself would have started to slow, so it would have been an easy process for me. And I went into vote and did, did all the regular checks and balances. And after, after this, I... Basically, go made my ballot, and that was it. It was very, I it was surprisingly fast because I remember back in 2015, it didn't take, um, it, it was a very slow process, in my opinion, back in 2015. But the process on that day was very, relatively fast, and I believe it's because of the timing that I actually used to, 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 to make the decision of when to vote. But generally, with the electoral process, I, I do realize that there's a lot of deficiencies within the process. And I'll let Matthew Forrest deliberate on, on, on those deficiencies because I'll, they, from my experience with, I think I voted probably four elections now, it, it has been very, very like stagnative and so on. There's no development within the, the, the voting body and so on to make the services more efficient at times. So, yeah, I'll let Matthew continue. All right, so I, I spoke earlier of my experience as a GCOM staff, but as a voter, I would have had to leave my um, polling station because I would not have received a certificate of employment, which usually allows GCOM staff to vote uh, wherever they're stationed. So I would have left my station. Uh, a GCOM staff would have transported me to uh, St. Sidwell's where I voted. And I noticed immediately some things that were different from what we were doing at my station and what we were taught. Usually when you go into the polling station, you give your ID card to the polling clerk. Uh, they check to ensure that the ID card corresponds with the information on the OLE. And if it is so, they... Uh, hand you over to the assistant presiding officer because the assistant presiding officer deals with persons who uh, come with their ID cards. Those persons are considered normal voters. And persons who do not have ID cards, those who are lame, those who are blind, and so forth, they would go to the presiding officers as special electors. Now, when the, preside, when the assistant presiding officer receives their ID card, they're supposed to do another check of the OLE and the ID card to ensure that it corresponds. They're supposed to check your finger 
to ensure that it just very quickly in. matthew um i yeah. don't even know what's the ole the ole is the official list of electors okay thank you Keep yeah going. so every station has an ole where the persons who are expected to vote at that station so as i was saying the apr apr is supposed to check your finger as well to ensure that there is no ink because if there is ink it would have mean it would have meant that you would have voted before and you will you should be transported out of the elections but when i am presenting my id card the apr is also supposed to show the id card to the agents i'm not sure how effective that is because the agents are at a distance away from the apo so i i don't understand why they ask the agent why they ask the apo to show the agents the id card but the apo did not do that and the agents did not make any objections so immediately i was like okay this is not supposed to be happening but i went and i uh, cast my ballot now i said all of that to say that a lot of the procedures that we were taught as GCOM staff were not followed on elections day and i am not surprised by some of the discrepancies and anomalies that have been unearthed during this recount process now many of the agents for the political parties were not properly trained prior to elections many of them also do not have they were not from the area, so they could not have been able to make informed objections. Because if you have an agent from the area, let's say I'm in Lodge and Forbes Burnham, uh, Forbes Burnham would have died a few years back. But somebody shows up at the polling station with an ID card for Forbes Burnham and presents themselves as a voter if i'm from the community i can immediately say hey forrest burnham died he should not be here and any id card being presented for forrest burnham is somebody trying to commit fraud but if i'm an agent that is not from that area i am not informed as to whether i, I cannot make an objection now if the presiding officer the apo are not competent and not efficient a person uh presenting an id card for somebody that is dead can easily uh vote in that election and, and con the system also there are persons who show up without id cards to vote now those persons would have to go to the presiding officer and the presiding officer has a folio a folio is an additional documentation of everybody on the ole so the folio would have your picture and some other information and the po would ask you questions like what is your date of birth uh, the name of your mother where you you have address and some other basic questions that anybody can answer if they have any relation with you or anybody can answer that would have done their due diligence on that person before elections day 
So, for example, if I have a brother who is 17, uh, but doesn't look like me. All right, th that's a bad example. If I have, um, let's say I have a brother who would have migrated, right? And I have a cousin who is 17 who should not vote. My cousin can show up at the polling station under the guise as my brother who is migrated and answer those basic questions and be administered an oath and be allowed to vote. So I think that the entire electoral process in terms of uh, scrutinizing persons that show up on ED uh, needs to be revamped. And I think it's high time that Guyana transitions to an electronic uh, management of the electoral process, as well as a few years back, Dr. Steve Surajbali would have suggested that the University of Guyana Institute a program titled elect Electoral Management, whereby they have a complement of staff who are trained in electoral issues and electoral management that can work at every elections, so that at every election, GCOM does not have to uh, publicize the need for staff and so forth, so that the Elections Commission can have a competent set of staff every elections to work so that there would not be all of these discrepancies at my polling station some of the agents did not know how to tally a simple thing as tallying a vote something that would have been taught since primary school we have elections agents election agents not knowing how to do such we have elections agents not knowing what constitutes a rejected ballot what constitutes a spoiled ballot so if I if I do not know that uh, a rejected ballot is a ballot that does not have the official six-digit stamp, I can't make any objections. And that goes back to the political parties' lack of training and their incompetence. And it also goes back to the GCOM staff because... We are repeatedly taught that a ballot must be stamped, a ballot must be stamped, a ballot must be stamped. Even if the PO doesn't stamp the ballot and the ballot is given to the, to the voter, when the voter is about to put the ballot in the ballot box, the ballot clerk is supposed to check the ballot to ensure it is stamped. So the fault is not, the blame does not only lie on the PO, but it lies on the ballot clerk and it lies on the agents because the agents are supposed to ensure that the ballot is stamped. Yet we still have thousands of cases in Guyana where ballots were not stamped. And this is unacceptable. And this is just one example of the inefficiencies and the incompetence of not only GCOM staff, but the entire the agents and the entire electoral process. My final observation right. as... A Go ahead. Go ahead. My final observation as relates to the um, elections is the role of the observers. Now, at my polling station, we had observers from the Private Sector Commission, the European Union, uh, AMCHAM, 
and you challenge Guyana, I believe. These observers come into the polling station for about five to ten minutes, look around, make their observations, and then leave. It is my view that that is insufficient, and the role of the observers is inconsequential if that is your if that is the way that if that is the modus operandi because like it's done in in school when the administrators or when the teachers not in the class the children will behave bad but soon as the teacher enters the class that noisy class will suddenly become the most silent class as though nothing happened and it's the same thing that happens on ed whereby the elections uh, the election staff may be doing stuff that they ought not to do. But when those agents come, when those observers come for the five to ten minutes, they will fall in line and do what needs to be done. And when the, when the observers leave, they go back to their the ways that they're not supposed to do. So the observers would be under the impression that this polling station is doing what they ought to do. And thus, many times the observers would come up with statements like the elections were free, fair, and credible, and so forth, when in reality that may not be the case. So I think the role of, of observers needs to be uh, reformed. I think that observers should be permanent, uh, per a permanent part of the elections machi machinery, whereby they are at the polling station for the entire day now, they may not be able to be at all polling stations, but I mean they can they can try to be as at at many polling stations for a significant period of time, so they can properly observe what is exactly unfolding on elections day. So that is it for me. That's a lot. <laughs> okay, so 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 Twinkle, if we can pick up a little on what um uh. Matt, you were saying about this process of presenting yourself to a polling station showing ID. How does that look like, or what did it look like in the past for you? What could you imagine that were you in Guyana on election day, especially as a transgender person showing ID, especially with your experiences with the courts and being misgendered and so on? What would that process look like for you? So I remember the first time I voted was in 2015, and I voted in my neighborhood. So. It, it wasn't far. It was at the Vrindup Secondary School. Um, the ID issue was always the issue for me. I know, where, you know, you present one way, but it's now reflected on your identification card. Um, it in the whole um, trans people many times they don't even get the chance to be registered because of the the migration issue because of um moving from what they're mobile, they move from one place to another, to another, to another, different times for different reasons, right? So you don't often get many trans people registering to vote. Um, that's why we've never had much of a problem whereby a person was rejected or anything because they're trans or because of ID issues. But in many cases, you would find because of same ID issues, somebody might be eligible to vote and would not go and vote because of this issue.